You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. Nearly 700 live-in patients at Laguna Honda Hospital have been thrown into chaos after Medicare announced it would pull its funding. The thought of them being displaced is devastating. There's no way most of those people will be homeless. Some former hospital physicians say they saw this coming. This shutdown was predictable. Normally, a nursing home is filled with primarily women over 85, and now you have a nursing home with predominantly men from 40 to 60. The city needs to provide funding and a place for people with substance use problems and conduct disorders. I'm Sylvie Sturm, and this is Civic. There's a healthcare crisis brewing in San Francisco that's so dire, politicians from the city, state, and federal governments are fighting alongside advocates for the poor and elderly, unions, and even city watchdogs and whistleblowers. They're all battling to save the 150-year-old Laguna Honda Hospital, a beloved skilled nursing facility that today takes care of nearly 700 elderly and disabled San Francisco residents. The city's Department of Public Health owns and oversees Laguna Honda, but Medicare and Medi-Cal funding makes up 99% of its revenue. So when the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, announced it would no longer pay for the care of nearly 700 Laguna Honda patients, on April 14th, the community panicked. That day, officials from the city and Congress joined hospital staff and residents on the steps of Laguna Honda to denounce the decision. Here's Mayor London Breed. For over 150 years, this facility has been a beacon of hope. It's been a place that has cared for those who could not care for themselves. I saw this care firsthand for over 10 years. As my grandmother, who suffered from dementia, this is where she lived. This is where the nurses made her smile. This is where they painted her nails and did her hair and made sure that even though she was in a facility where there wasn't much she could do, that there was still a little bit of fun or excitement in her life. Laguna Honda is still licensed and will continue to operate for the time being, but there's no way the city can make up for the loss of $15 million a month in federal money. CMS declined an interview request, but in a statement, a spokesperson said that ending a Medicare and Medicaid provider agreement was a last resort. Federal regulators say they've lost faith in the hospital's ability to ensure the health, safety, and well-being of its residents. It all started in July 2021, when two patients suffered non-fatal overdoses due to illicit drug use. California public health inspectors conducted several on-site assessments between October 2021 and March 2022 with damning results. A state report revealed that staff claimed they were unable to control illicit drug use among some of the patients. That led federal regulators to declare a state of immediate jeopardy. CMS agreed to continue funding patient care until August as the hospital works towards recertification. The city's Department of Public Health is spending $5.6 million on two consulting companies with expertise in CMS regulations. But their success is far from guaranteed. And what's most baffling for many is that CMS requires Laguna Honda to discharge all patients by September, even as it works towards recertification. 
Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco Congresswoman and Speaker of the House, voiced her objection to CMS's decision through Dan Bernal, her chief of staff in San Francisco. He was at the April 14th rally on the steps of Laguna Honda. Speaker Pelosi released a statement, which I'll share with the press, regarding the importance on keeping Laguna Honda Hospital open. Laguna Honda has long been a pillar of the health and well-being for generations of San Francisco families. At this very moment, this indispensable institution is ensuring that hundreds of patients with critical and complex medical and behavioral health conditions can get the care they need regardless of their financial means. And during the pandemic, the dedicated staff of the hospital has been outstanding in controlling outbreaks and keeping its vulnerable patients safe from the virus. It is unfathomable that Laguna Honda could lose the vital federal funding it needs to support life-saving programs for some of our most vulnerable San Franciscans, especially as we continue to be threatened by the pandemic. This is why it is both urgent and essential that city, state, and national officials work together to help address areas of concern and protect this crucial health care provider. My office is working closely with Mayor Breed and the Biden administration to support Laguna Honda's devoted staff and ensure that the hospital can address its issues, come into full compliance, and continue to serve our community for decades to come. Despite the high-powered protests, the situation escalated on May 16th when the hospital's nearly 700 patients were hit with a mass eviction notice. California Senator Dianne Feinstein expressed her strong opposition in a letter to Secretary of Health and Human Services Javier Becerra. Laguna Honda is one of the largest skilled nursing hospitals in the country and one of the few facilities in the entire state that can treat patients and live in residence with such a wide range of complex health challenges. Feinstein said if patients are transferred to other states, it would complicate the process even further because each patient's Medicare and Medicaid benefits would have to be transferred to the receiving state. She also said that as COVID cases and hospitalizations rise in California, the decision to relocate vulnerable patients adds unnecessary health risks. She urged Becerra to reverse the decision and instead asks CMS to cooperate with Laguna Honda as it makes whatever changes needed for recertification. The idea of a shutdown and mass discharge is disturbing to say the least for the thousands of patients, family, and staff that make up Laguna Honda's community, like certified nursing assistant Valoria Russell Benson. Laguna Honda is not just a convalescent and rehab. It is home for the residents, and the thought of them being displaced is devastating. There's no way it's unthinkable to try to relocate over 700 residents. I can't even put it into words on how you can't relocate that many people, number one. And number two, most of those people will be homeless. I mean, a relocation or to close down Laguna Honda would end up in homelessness for a lot of our residents. Laguna Honda Hospital has served San Francisco since 1866. It opened on the old San Miguel Rancho during the gold rush as a four-story wood-framed almshouse surrounded by 62 idyllic acres west of Twin Peaks. A natural spring fed a deep lagoon on the site, which gave it the name Laguna Honda. Its location, high on top of a hill, provides breathtaking views. 
On a clear day, you can even see the Pacific Ocean miles away. The hospital was a vital part of recovery whenever a crisis hit San Francisco. During a smallpox epidemic in 1868, a 24-bed hospital opened on the site. In 1906, it served as a care facility for earthquake refugees. Along with its history and deep roots, it also has some of the city's longest-serving and most dedicated healthcare workers. Here again is Valoria Russell Benson. I am a CNA at Laguna Honda Hospital for 27 years. Nursing was not my first choice, but after watching my mom, she worked at Laguna Honda as well. She worked there for 26 years and retired from there. That's how I became a, a CNA and I came to Laguna Honda and it was challenging. It was challenging in the beginning, but I realized at working at Laguna Honda that some of the things that I were doing really made a difference to my residents, made a difference. So the better and happier they got, the better I felt. That dedication intensified during the height of the COVID pandemic. Here's Teresa Rutherford. She's a certified nursing assistant at Laguna Honda and vice president of the union representing its workers. This pandemic, Laguna Honda was, you know, a lighthouse at the top of the hill. We were outstanding. Other states were reaching out to find out what we have done and what are the best practices and how we were able to protect the patients. I think we had over the last two years about six deaths somewhere around there from COVID, while other institutions had to literally close down because so many of their patients were dying. We never had that. Our members, our staff went above and beyond to take care and to protect the patients, even risking themselves. I know that several of my coworkers slept in their cars because they didn't want to take anything home but they also wanted to be available to take care of the patients. But again, like any institution with 700 beds, there will be mistakes. There will be errors. And where they are, the oversight bodies have every right to demand that those issues are resolved and that we maintain high standards and high quality, but it should not come at the cost of destroying the institution. Number one, it serves some of the most vulnerable in our population. It really serves a lot of low-income patients, you know, and people who would not generally have easy access to healthcare. It also serves the general population of San Francisco. It's a safe safety net for the elderly and for persons who would generally need long-term care. And it has specialized areas that are able to treat persons with complex healthcare needs, which is quite different from your general long-term care facility because of these specialized areas that it offers. Laguna Honda provides the Bay Area's only dedicated skilled nursing care for people with HIV and AIDS. It also has a nationally recognized memory care program for people with Alzheimer's and other dementias. And it offers therapeutic services for patients suffering from traumatic brain injuries, strokes, and degenerative diseases. Its group living structure focuses on community integration for people with developmental disabilities. 
Residents live in 15-person households, each with its own living room. Each of the hospital's 13 floors is made up of four households organized into a distinctive neighborhood with a large room at the center for daily activities. Three buildings open onto a large central park that features a petting zoo, a small orchard, and raised planting beds accessible for people using wheelchairs. During a San Francisco Board of Supervisors public hearing on June 14th, a patient's father talked about how beneficial Laguna Honda has been for his son. My name is Michael Monley. I am a retired school teacher here in San Francisco. My wife and I have, uh, our son was shot at the age of 19, so a victim of gun violence. And he lived on his own with help from IHSS and attendants. But as he got older, the needs of a quadriplegic really intensify, and his body is deteriorating, and he no longer felt safe living on his own in an apartment. And luckily, we got him into into Laguna Honda, which saved his life, actually. And it's been an amazing place for him. The needs of a quadriplegic are quite severe, you know, with bathrooming and body care and the, the chores of daily living. He has been lucky to be at this wonderful institution. It's so life-affirming. The workers are incredible, and the staff has been great. The stress that is this move for my wife and my son has, has been awful. His anguish was echoed by a patient's son who described the setting as ideal for his father. Hello, my name is Shane Ahern. My father's been a resident of Laguna Honda since 2003 when he suffered a severe case of meningitis that left him near death. He survived, but he lost 100% of his vision due to damage to his brain and suffered other effects of traumatic brain injury that severely affected his memory and ability to recall facts and events. His life from that day has been severely limited, but Laguna Honda has provided him not only the critical medical care he needs, but also many avenues to connect with the community and his interests. Caring, compassionate, and uplifting nursing and medical staff for his daily companions, weekly Catholic masses for his spiritual needs and connect with others of shared faith, weekly 12 steps recovery meetings to join with the community in recovery, poetry group for creative expression, connection with community volunteers who take time out of their own life to help him attend meetings on Irish literature and history, visits from his friends and family in the community and internet radio access with news from his home country of Ireland and from around the world to keep him connected and engaged with the global community. These are all things that Laguna Honda has made possible for my dad that are lifelines for him to make Laguna Honda a unique and special place. My dad's been part of the community of San Francisco since 1970 when he immigrated here from Ireland, and it's part of who he is. He's given much of himself to the city, which is why living at Laguna Honda has been a saving grace to him after his loss of vision and memory. Laguna Honda, too, is part of this fabric of San Francisco. And my father has never has expressed nothing but joy and gratitude that he's had, had the opportunity to live there. At this point in his life, turning 80 years old this year, being abruptly moved to a new and unfamiliar environment would be devastating to him. Without a vision or effective memory, it would be extremely difficult and traumatic for him to adjust to a new and unfamiliar environment. During its long history, Laguna Honda has also had its share of scandals and mismanagement. Most notably, a 2019 investigation uncovered patient abuse at the hands of hospital workers. The city's public health director, Dr. Grant Colfax, explained during a press conference in June 2019. We discovered that 23 residents were affected dating back to 2016. 
six staff members were involved, and they are no longer employed by the Department of Public Health. The misconduct we discovered included sexualized conversations with residents, verbal and physical abuse, neglect, privacy violations, medication errors, and the administration of non-prescribed substances to some residents in an attempt to pacify them. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid fined the city $780,000 for those violations. But as bad as these cases were, they didn't trigger decertification. The Department of Health announced a slew of changes at the time, including stricter safety and reporting protocols. Those stricter protocols meant that in July 2021, when two patients non-fatally overdosed on fentanyl and methamphetamine, the hospital would report what happened to the California Department of Public Health. These were serious overdoses. One patient had to be hospitalized and put on a breathing machine, a ventilator, and the other one had repeated seizures and was hospitalized for weeks. Dr. Derek Kerr worked at Laguna Honda for 20 years until 2010. He's now an investigative reporter for a San Francisco news outlet called the West Side Observer. And full disclosure, he's also been a donor to the San Francisco public press. He has acted as a watchdog over Laguna Honda for more than a decade, starting in 2010 when he blew the whistle on financial misappropriation at the hospital. I discovered that there was some corruption, misappropriations from the patient gift fund. My partner and I at the time, Dr. Maria Rivero, we filed complaints with the Ethics Commission, the Controller's Whistleblower Program, and did get restitution of about $340,000 for the gift fund. And also came across a couple of tainted contracts, which we also reported to the city, one of which ended up getting canceled. And several hundred thousand dollars were recovered from that. So I was a whistleblower and I was laid off for whistleblowing. And I sued the city and obtained a settlement, $750,000, and a number of non-monetary concessions. So that experience made me realize that there are problems within organizations that only get exposed when employees are willing to speak out, but they face severe consequences for speaking out. So I've been directing my attention to, you know, improving the city's whistleblower program and monitoring corruption in various city agencies. And lucky for me, I have city employees who provide me with tips and information. After the non-fatal overdoses last July, the state conducted an inspection in October that revealed deficiencies. And that is what launched the disastrous domino effect towards decertification. Dr. Kerr filed a public records request for the state inspection reports from October 2021 to March 2022. They showed a disarray more dire than what's been publicly disclosed. What they found was that there was a lot of drug use and contraband on the premises. Patients were smuggling in drugs, using them on the premises. So they said this is substandard care. What's going on here does not meet federal requirements for nursing homes. So they said, clean up your act and we'll come back and resurvey. That was in October of 21. When they came back in March of 22, the same problems, contraband all over the place. And they even had 
they interviewed a psychiatrist who explained how he was interviewing a patient and the patient was smoking fentanyl during the interview. And he told the inspectors, I just can't manage this patient. So he uh, notified the nurses. They had to monitor him to make sure he didn't overdose, et cetera. And then the patient said, oh, everybody knows about you know, what I'm doing. Uh, no problem. The state report also revealed that 23 of 37 sampled patients had contraband, like syringes, drugs, drug paraphernalia, a knife, scissors, bottles of alcohol, and lighters. And 13 of the sampled patients tested positive for illicit drugs. One patient was intoxicated due to methamphetamine, two more sustained falls due to alcohol and methadone, and another four showed abnormal behaviors due to heroin, methadone, and methamphetamine. A nursing director also told the inspectors that we've exhausted all our options. We don't know what to do with this contraband and this drug use. So the inspectors declared a state of immediate jeopardy, which is a very serious finding that can shut down a hospital. Fortunately, Lugonahanda came up with a plan of correction. They promised they would fix things. And then the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services came in and said, look, we're going to have another survey in one month in April. And if you don't clean up your act, we're going to stop payment for all your patients. Well, in April, the inspectors came in and they didn't find any contraband or drug use. Laguna Honda had managed to control that, but they found a whole bunch of other clinical deficiencies related to infection control measures that are needed to control COVID and other sort of clinical findings, which are kind of usual type findings. Unfortunately, those deficiencies meant that Laguna Honda failed their resurvey and funding was cut. Dr. Kerr says the current crisis was years in the making, beginning in 2004 with a change in Laguna Honda admissions policy. The change was made partially in response to a city health department audit that found that some non-acute general hospital patients were in acute care beds. Because they didn't need acute care, Medicare didn't cover their $1,300 per day payments. The cost was being subsidized by the city at a rate of millions of dollars per year. The Department of Public Health corrected this mismanagement by transferring patients who did not require acute care to Laguna Honda. But Dr. Kerr says there were problems with that policy. The flow project started in 2004, and there were two issues that came up. San Francisco General Hospital was having difficulty with long-staying medical patients and psychiatric patients. These patients would get reimbursed. Their treatment was reimbursed for a certain number of days. And after that, the reimbursement stopped. Medical, Medicare, insurance would stop paying. So if those patients were too disorganized to go home, or if their home wasn't supportive enough, or if they had no home, then San Francisco General was stuck with these patients. Laguna Honda had historically always brought patients in from San Francisco General. 50% of our patients came from the General. But Laguna Honda had an admission screening committee, and it had a process whereby Patients were evaluated before admission to make sure that they were eligible for skilled nursing care and to make sure that they could be safely managed at Laguna Honda. Some patients who were violent, who set fires, who were using drugs, would not be admitted to Laguna Honda. And San Francisco General 
objected to that, at least the Department of Public Health. So they decided that Laguna Honda would no longer be allowed to determine who was eligible to be admitted. And San Francisco General and the health department would decide when a patient was ready to be discharged from the general, they would go to Laguna Honda, regardless of behavioral disturbances. The admissions changes had increased the admission of patients with psychosocial difficulties, severe mental illness, and substance abuse disorders. And it dramatically shifted Laguna Honda's population from predominantly elderly women to younger men. So that led to an upsurge in violence and drug use and intimidation. There was a crackdown by OSHA and regulatory agencies. There were protests by the medical staff at Laguna Honda, protests by the executives. There was a lawsuit against the Department of Public Health. Eventually, the mayor felt there was just too much controversy, and he said, let's reverse this flow project. Well... What happened next is that the Department of Public Health replaced Laguna Honda's CEO, COO, medical director, nursing director, admissions coordinator, just decapitated the institution and put in loyalists from San Francisco General in their place. What year was this? Around 2006. So then the internal opposition was gone. And they made another change. They said that henceforth, the new CEO would decide who would be admitted to Laguna Honda rather than the medical director and the medical staff, which had always been the pattern. But they did take certain precautions. They increased security. They improved the programs to sort of mitigate the violence issue. These developments led people in the community and some of the medical staff to put forth a ballot measure in 2006. The proposed law would have prohibited admitting people with psychiatric or behavioral diagnosis, people who posed a threat to themselves or others, and people who needed short-term care. Voters didn't support the measure, but Dr. Kerr said their efforts increased visibility about the problems at Laguna Honda, although perhaps not nearly enough. Our thought was to protect the patients. So after that brouhaha, the Department of Public Health did improve security and safety measures at Laguna. They did take some measures, but the flow project continued in a more subtle form. And I think that the current difficulties are directly related to that emphasis on flow rather than patient safety. The fight to reverse the emissions policy continues. That was evident at the June 14th public hearing when a former Laguna Honda physician called in. This is uh, Dr. Teresa Palmer. I'm a MD geriatrician, and I worked at Laguna Honda for 15 years until 2004. This shutdown was predictable. Normally, a nursing home is filled with primarily women over 85, and now you have a nursing home with predominantly men from 40 to 60. The city needs to provide funding and a place for people with substance use problems and conduct disorders. Laguna Honda was marketed, the bond issue was marketed in 1999 as a place for frail elders and disabled to go in San Francisco if they really needed a nursing home. And people who are inappropriately admitted to Laguna Honda without the staffing to care for them are taking the place of other people that really need 
a nursing home. Dr. Palmer elaborated on her comments at a June 21st Zoom event hosted by the Great Panthers, an advocacy group for the elderly. Laguna Honda is not a mental health facility. A new emphasis on behavioral care at Laguna Honda was a way to save money for the general fund. The independence of medical and nursing management at Laguna Honda to decide who could safely stay at the facility was, for all practical purposes, removed. Nursing management became an adjunct of San Francisco General, as did the management of the medical staff. The future of Laguna Honda has now been jeopardized by the chaos that ensued from these decisions. The mayor and public health are minimizing the violations as if the nursing home run by the city with a big heart is being persecuted by the federal government. The Department of Public Health declined to comment on Dr. Palmer's assertions that admissions policy changes created the problems that led to decertification. But in a statement, a spokesperson said that the department and mayor's office, quote, take the findings of our federal and state regulators very seriously, end quote. San Francisco is also working towards adding nearly 400 mental health and addiction treatment beds across the city. In the city's upcoming two-year budget, Mayor London Breed allocated $57.5 million to operate newly acquired behavioral health facilities, totaling 360 beds. And Dr. Kerr holds out hope that things might turn around at Laguna Honda. He said he was encouraged by a statement from former Laguna Honda CEO Michael Phillips, written in the October 2021 State Inspection Report. Phillips wrote, quote, The facility's goal is to reduce harm from illicit drug use and be selective in admitting residents that may play a role in contraband drug use and distribution. End quote. In our next episode, we'll hear from Laguna Honda administrators about what they're doing to address problems related to a changing patient population. And we'll look at the Herculean efforts needed to fulfill the federal directive to move nearly 700 patients with complex health care needs out of the facility. I'm Sylvie Sturm, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is produced by KSFP LP, a project of the San Francisco Public Press. Our team includes producer Leanna Wilcox and contributor Mel Baker, who's also program director at KSFP. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.